This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Musa McHale. He is a submarine Navy veteran, podcast host, entrepreneur, speaker, coach, and author based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. He spent cumulatively over two years of his naval service underwater and used that time to develop himself and plan his entrepreneurial ventures. He operates a real estate business and his media coaching company. He's host of the Conqueror Approach podcast about a journey of self-mastery, mind, body, spirit, and finances. It has been streamed in 30 countries to date. He has dedicated his life to spreading the principles of mastery and empowering others to live their most authentic and highest potential. I love that last line. I'm all about that too. So what brings you to Grieving Voices? And thank you for being here too, by the way. Thank you. It's my privilege to be here. Uh, And, you know, I I love the work that you're doing. And I feel like the conversations that happen on these topics need to happen more often than not now. And in my military service, uh, you mentioned a little bit, I was on a submarine, so it was definitely mentally challenging, right? Because it's, it's a different lifestyle. Most people aren't used to being in a tube for weeks, months on end. So it was a it was a big adjustment. At first, I was actually really afraid to do it, to be honest. I, I didn't want to be in a tube. I love being outside. I love nature. And the thought of being isolated in confinement for extended periods of time didn't really get me excited. <laughs> and I, I used that to really challenge myself out of my comfort zone because it was extremely out of my comfort zone. If there's one thing the Navy offered that was outside my comfort zone the most, it was probably the submarines. And that's what I ended up with. So I somehow attracted that into my life. And I figured I would do my best and and use it to challenge myself mentally and get, get past it. And I did. I had a very successful tour as a submariner. And I still didn't feel fulfilled. That's why I got out to do my entrepreneurial things. Um, now, a lot of it's to give back to those who are serving uh, and others who are just struggling uh, with their mindset to get get through that uh, those challenges, whether it's on a submarine or anywhere else, because the military has a lot of issues with mental health and people are not talking about it enough. And a lot of it is in a way stigmatized. Like it's a negative for you to go seek mental help sometimes and it and it shouldn't be that way so a lot of my mission now is to help people on their journeys get a little bit better 
mindset wise, health and fitness wise, spiritually, uh, and even finances. So that's really uh, what is driving me now. It's a whole body approach. It's, you know, because there's not just one part of us that suffers typically, especially with grief. It's the whole of us and how we show up in the world and our relationships and how we, how we have a relationship to our money and everything, right? Spirituality, faith, all of it. So I absolutely love that. And just to your point about the military and the mental, mental health, I mean, there's been a lot of push and a lot of forward momentum in that department, but just even two years ago, I was at um, a mental health summit and I had a booth there with my grief work And I listened to a bunch of speakers and talkers and stuff. And there was a veteran who shared his story of attempted suicide, which was completely, was really, truly moving. But what I didn't hear in all of the talks about suicide was the word grief wasn't mentioned at once. And so I think too, it's my push is to get people talking about grief because that's the root really, I believe um, that leads people down that path often. Can you share your personal story of how this work has evolved for you? Yeah, and I, I love that because grief is a crucial element, if not the most important, because it's when we're not effectively processing traumas or grieving, you know, whether it's something that we've developed as children, uh, any traumatic experiences that have led up to us being unable to process our emotions in a healthy way. Those things over time compound to really affect the brain in a a lot of ways. Uh, And then you you see things like suicide or just mental health, uh, mental health issues, mental illness. Those things don't just happen overnight, right? You wouldn't want to just wake up one day and then like, oh, today's the day that I'm going to lose my mind, right? It's a process. It's a sequence of events it's a timeline of developing issues compounded over each other that lead to these uh, really bad things or just issues and as a society i really love the book that uh just recently came out i think called what happened to you by dr bruce perry and oprah and it's kind of to change the narrative of what's wrong with you to what happened to you and a lot of it is the the failure to get support and, and, and process things like grief, trauma, right? It's, it's those things that undealt with, ignored, lead to very, very serious issues. And then we, we, we as a society, we look at those people, it's like, what the hell's wrong with this guy or this woman? Like, why would they do that? Or why, why are they crazy or whatever the case is, whatever labels we put on them, instead of looking deeper, like what happened? What's causing that? So in my military service, at the end of 2019, on my submarine in uh, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, there was a guy that I served with that I knew. And I, I noticed there was a lot of things off, but I wasn't as knowledgeable on these type of things. And, and I really started taking it more seriously after this event. Uh, and I noticed there was things off, and I, I never thought it would get to a very, very serious uh, point like it did. But at the end of 2019, right before Christmas, there was a lot of things that led up to it, I'm sure. But then this particular sailor on watch, armed with an M4 rifle and a pistol, decided to shoot two 
Hawaiian shipyard workers that he didn't know. He killed them and then he took his own life there. So it was active shooter. Uh, my submarine, I wasn't there at the time because I was dealing with processing out of the Navy. However, I have a lot of good friends that were there, you know, and, and then people calling me all over, right? I, I had no idea what was going on. People calling me from the base because they hear the, they hear the announcement, active shooter on USS Columbia, shipyard, whatever. And then they don't know what's going on. And I didn't know what's going on. So I feared the worst. I didn't know who was getting hurt. And then at the end of it, it was, it was two innocent civilian Hawaiian men who were great engineers, who had families, had no idea that I was coming, had nothing to do with that sailor. They didn't know him, never even probably talked to him for a minute of their lives. And they lost their lives because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. The thing that bothered me the most was this is a common thing in the military is they don't really make these things public as much, right? Obviously that was a public event because that was a very serious event made in headlines, but what was the response of the Navy from that? You know, uh, and this is not to bash the military. They want to protect their image so they can continue to recruit people and not think that people are committing suicide all the time in the military. Like no one would want to join if they have, and they're like, why the hell people are killing themselves because they're in the military. So they use, they do the best they can to, to make it, hidden and i saw that firsthand because i was on the submarine when when high level men came down and said you know this is an isolated incident you guys had nothing to do with it and they did t- didn't take any ownership for it which is the opposite of what people needed right these things don't just happen there's a lot of things that we could have took uh a lot of things we could have done to potentially prevent it and not to beat ourselves up something like that as a tragedy, but what could we have done? How can we take this more seriously? How can we actually help people, right? And and for me, I, I have a strong feeling that he went through some serious trauma before he joined the military because he was a young guy. He was 22, right? So he, he came in, and, and since day one, he had a lot of emotional walls. His communication was off. Some things didn't make sense. It was disorganized. In speech, so I know a lot of psychologists can notice a lot of those things are, are actually signs of serious trauma, which can lead up to things when put under an extreme situation for a long period. And he was on the submarine for about a year and a half, and it was a, it was a challenging experience for him. It was hard for him to grasp what we were doing there. So that's another thing: when people aren't learning, it's not that they're stupid or dumb, right? which what people would default saying, oh, you're stupid. Like, why can't you learn this? There is actually parts of the brain when you're dealing with a lot of serious trauma, it prevents you from using the other parts of the brain that help you learn faster or understand comprehension is different when you have a lot of hard issues that have not been dealt with. So he he definitely needed some help before, right? Preventative things, right? And it, And that's, that's kind of what, you know, I'm working to do with the podcast. I get experts and specialists and, and these types of conversations, health and nutrition, because obviously the body has a big role. The mind and the body is is connected. If if the mind's not in a good state, the rest of the body won't be a good state. And a lot of those pains and aches and diseases that we have in our bodies are indications of our mental health not being there. 
So these are all signs. And then that's kind of what I, I love talking about is helping people understand the signs so they can continue to work on themselves. So these types of things can happen less and happen never ideally. Right. And there was other instances of suicide that I heard about even when I was active duty and I never even like, they didn't even give us the names of the guys. It was just kind of like, let's keep this in the dark. Let's not even talk about it. I know those didn't make the news headlines, but it was happening. And those are the, why, like, why is this happening? So this is, this is why I love these types of podcasts and, and have these conversations. Cause like you said, those families still grieve, I'm sure to this day, right? This is right before Christmas. Like those families are missing their fathers or uncles, whatever the case is. And I believe it was preventable. You said a lot in there and I have a few thoughts that I'd like to just circle back to coming back to what you said about what happened to you in that book. That's what I've, I've actually said that in a podcast. I don't know who I was interviewing, but imagine if someone who's feeling depressed or having depressive thoughts goes into a doctor's office. How often do they say what happened to you? Never. And I think, I mean, that's the first line. People don't go to the doctor when they're feeling awesome. You know, they go to the doctor when they're feeling badly. And oftentimes that could be the first line of defense is someone saying, what happened to you? And the most important question to open up a bigger conversation about really what's going on and what, what is possibly needed in further treatment rather than just a pill. So that's one thought. I'm a veteran as well. And just being at that mental health summit and on my rotation to Iraq, we had lost three guys. And I know that there was no communication about grief. There is no, like even out processing, right? The, and here's the thing too, I think a lot of soldiers will resonate with and understand and you probably too, you will lie so that you can advance your career and you will lie to not feel less than. And if you're struggling with your mental health, it's, I think it's especially hard for people in the military to admit to that. And so, like you said, to your point, it trickles from the top down. And I think if the leadership lead by example in this department, that's what will ultimately change the conversation around grief, suicide prevention, suicide communication. It's educating soldiers to understand what the signs are, to understand that you're not a snitch, that you could be potentially saving that person's life or the lives of others, right? It's a big conversation, I think. And I maybe it's happening more than we think. I hope so. Actually, later this week, I'm having a conversation with Scott Mann. He runs the Rooftop Leadership. Uh, he was a Green Beret in Afghanistan. I'm very interested in having this, this particular conversation with him as well about leadership and the top down and, and grief in particular. And you bring up another good point. It's, you know, the gentleman that did that and how he probably had trauma and things that were unprocessed. I actually at that mental health summit, I even asked the therapist, I said, you know, why don't, why doesn't the military implement some sort of ACE study questionnaire? 
don't know if you're familiar with the ACE study, adverse mm-hmm. childhood experiences, but if they actually made that like a screening tool for servicemen and women, because someone who deploys, who then further experiences more trauma and grieving experiences, those, and they had a really traumatic childhood, they're exponentially at greater risk for suicide, anxiety, depression, all of those things. So yeah, you spoke to the signs. So can you share a little bit more about that and what you've learned about all of that? Yeah, I've learned that I can sit there and be upset that the military didn't do enough or didn't do whatever, but that that's not going to really solve the issues at this moment. Right. It's not going to allow me to do the the most I can do right now. And you said it, you said it really well. It it really is. I I think that's a great idea. Getting some type of questionnaire to at least screen people in this way. There should be some mandatory mental health uh, checks uh, work to actually process that stuff because people bottle it in for so long and has to go somewhere at some point. And if people don't understand how to deal with it, it gets, it gets bad. Uh, I've noticed a lot of things from that when I reviewed his behavior, you know, it's usually these weird or off behaviors indicate like trauma, something, the inability to communicate clearly or or just like stonewalling or, or like just anger shaking those types of things we should be inquiring more like hey was like what what happened like we should have deeper conversations because then people can start to realize because when people make or, or have any traumatic experience when they're younger they might not consciously make the link between that experience and their behavior or why you know, they, they might have not been able to make that link beside from a trauma to someone's inability to learn or, or to catch along or, or grasp concepts, right? It's, there's links between all of that, though. And I think the day, the day of one of my leaders who were actually, he was in a disciplinary review that day. And at a certain point, he stopped responding and he started shaking, which I don't know all the reasons why that can happen to someone, but I know there's definitely, there's a lot going on there. A lot of emotion that that person doesn't know how to deal with or process. So it just shuts them down. And if their body's involuntarily doing things, there's things that there's emotion there. There's a lot of emotion there. There's, there's anger, there's sadness. There's a lot of things Right. So because the body responds in a certain way, that can tell us there's a lot of stuff here that hasn't been dealt with. There's a lot of energy that hasn't been processed. Emotion is energy in motion. A lot of energy that hasn't been moved effectively, it's still there. And that's why people can need that. It's always a good idea to get some type of mental health because even me, I'll say I'm, I'm pretty uh, intelligent in this conversation and, and these types of things. I can only see myself from my perspective. There's things that I won't be able to see until somebody else can give me that feedback. 
right? And give me the feedback of how I'm reacting and responding to things. So it's important for we us to in, implement some type of way to create a support system where people feel safe enough to talk about these things, whatever traumas they're facing, right? And since then, I've been doing a lot of work on on me because leadership begins with self, right? And that's kind of the whole idea of my show. The, the quote that got me to name the show was a Plato quote called the first and best victory is to conquer self. So leadership is a leadership of self first. So the, the problem we have isn't just like, oh, this guy came into the Navy with issues and it became bigger and bigger until someone died or he killed himself. A lot of the leaders don't know how to process their emotions either. A lot of the leaders don't know because they never got that kind of support. And I, I know it might be different for you, but and my submarine is all men. All men that feel it's weak to be vulnerable. That it's not tough to complain or, or not. It won't say complain because complaining is is uh, a lot of victimization to self too, but just to talk about what's really bothering you. As a man, it's weak to talk about your feelings a lot of times. Society says, movies, Hollywood says. So when you have a, a group full of men and none of them share, none of them open up, none of them talk about how they feel, none of them feel like they can go talk to a mental health professional without getting some type of criticism from their crew or whatever the case is you have a group of dysfunctional men trying to function and learning to function within their dysfunction which is not the most productive it's not the most effective it's not the most healthy and then we start getting signs in our body we start getting diseases and my theory on this the diseases that we feel around our body even though it might not sound like it had anything to do. I have a thyroid issue when I was in the Navy. Some people might just say, oh, that's just a thyroid disease. That has something to do with mental health. My inability to keep my myself stress-free or manage my stress created disease, manifests these disease, because the immune system doesn't work under stress very well. So these are the type of conversations that I feel is necessary. And part of it is now... How can I get these conversations, these type of podcasts to more military people? Because even on my podcast, I'm not saying this is for broken people who have mental health issues. Because anyone can and anyone can take their journey on. But it, it, it can only it could take just a simple person or, or just one person to say, hey man, it's okay. Like let's let's do this. Let's talk about this. Like what's going on here? Like these criticisms are not as important as your well-being, your wellness. So I get very passionate about this stuff. And, and it's really what I'm dedicating everything to now is how can I support people who really don't know how to support yourselves? Because at a certain point, a lot of these traumas become subconscious and then the behaviors are subconscious. So people don't know why they do things they do. And that's what it, why we need feedback, we need support, we need more help, more eyes around us to see why we do the things we do. Because a lot of it is we just don't know what we don't know. We don't know how those traumas bleed into our behavior, 
our learning, our health, our performance. And that's usually what it is. Someone who doesn't perform in any business, any career field, if they're not performing well, there's an issue there with mentality, mental health. There's something that is occupying most of their mind so they cannot perform the way they can or are capable of. So I know I got it on tangent. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> I mean, you, you speak my language because as a Reiki master, I'm all about the energy and how energy gets stuck in our bodies and speaking about the thyroid, that's the throat chakra. It's unable to speak mm-hmm. your truth. It's unable to communicate yeah. how you feel and communicate, just communicate. Um, exactly. if it's I, I got cancer there because yeah. of that. Wow. I mean, yeah. yes. I, I was in. <laughs> so I understand. I didn't know at the time. And I refused to say, oh, I got that. Oh, it's just like, it just happened. Like it happens. It's a common thing, right? Nowadays, it's a lot of people have it. Let me just cut it out and deal with it. Like, oh, problem solved. No, I took the opposite. I was like, I'm not cutting it out. This is a sign that I need to learn how to process this. Or else I could cut it out, but it's going to show up somewhere else. Right? Disease shows up if the trauma and the pain and the suffering and the stress are still there in your your body, it'll come out in different ways. Absolutely. Like I have a good I have a good chiropractor and we talk about like my neck pain. He never talks about like, oh, it's a spine or it's a muscle or it's a, like no, he's like, this is holding on to anger. This is why your neck hurts. I was like, oh, well, this is this is helpful because this is a way to approach it instead of, oh, let me go crack your neck real quick. And like, I'll see you next week. It's like, no, we got to get the energy processed so it can actually relieve the tension there long term. Right. So chiropractors, some of them know a lot of this the, the energy because the, the spinal cord, the nervous system, when it's under stress and under tension, you start getting posture issues, back pain neck pain and that was me too i'm still working on that i'll see my chiropractor in two days <laughs> well and the acupuncture is a lot like reiki mm-hmm. in that it helps to open the flow of the energy right you might want to look into reiki yeah i did one reiki uh class before i haven't done acupuncture but i'm definitely was actually really interested in it i was asking people about it out here in vegas because I, I definitely want to check it out uh, it, and it and it's just like that. It's a process. It's not something you do once, right? And that's why it's all about the journey. And it, and mental health issues. Not like oh, let me go talk to some person one time. No, it's a practice. How can I practice moving this energy? Because if it gets stored up as anger, like it was for me, it's going to come out somewhere else. It might blow the lid off when I'm when I don't want it to. Right? It's going to come out uncontrollably at some point. So how do I process that in a healthy way? So no one gets hurt and I don't get hurt physically with my body. I don't suffer from disease because I'm holding on to everything. So this is, this is the conversation that I, I have myself a lot and that I share with other people because it is a huge, huge part of just being happy and living a fulfilled life and just performing and creating our maximized life that we can create is dealing with ourselves first. 
So let's circle back because I don't want to gloss over the cancer diagnosis. But when you first heard those words, what went through your mind? Yeah, I was actually fit. I was still in the Navy. So I was I was concerned. However, I knew it wasn't. I wasn't afraid. I was I understood the this, this type was it's one that doesn't really spread very fast. And, and it didn't really spread since I've had it. Uh, it's very slow growing. And I, I just looked at it. I, I knew since I heard it that I wasn't going to just do the modern approach to removing parts and whatever. The only option I had was surgery. And it was at a size that's a little too small for most most of them to have surgery. If it's less than a centimeter, they usually don't want to remove anything. And mine's was less than a centimeter. And it still is. And I was like, okay, so I'll monitor it. Everyone looked at me like I was stupid for not wanting to have surgery. All the doctors I was talking to in the military, because that's the language they speak, right? A butcher cuts, surgeon removes things. So they were just like, let's just remove it and it's gone. I looked at it from a more spiritual lens, right? Like if I'm, I knew I wanted to do this work when I got out of the military. This is really right before, like a couple months before I got out, I found out. And it was like, I want to do this work. So me being spiritual looked at it as, well, this might be necessary for me to overcome and live through. So I can live self-mastery. Can I, I can live what really mastering the mind, the body and spirit is and heal. And when I do that, I'll be able to speak to everyone who has disease in a different way and have them listen that we have a lot of control over these things. I've known people who've healed from a lot of diseases. We, we see diabetes, heart disease, a lot of those things get reversed, right? If you see work by Joe Dispenza, this, this man got hit by a truck and healed himself without any surgery. Like it's, it's, we say it's a miracle. However, our body, every single cell in our body is a miracle. Yeah. He was told you'd never walk again. <laughs> yeah. And I, I study, I'm, I'm learning, I'm in school for nutrition science. I'm studying a lot of biology. How our, our body does the things it does is it's a miracle. And that's all I could say about that. So healing is part of our, our body. Our body does that. You get a cut on your finger. You don't have to think about it. It's going to heal. The body knows it'll respond. It'll clot, clot up that cut and you get a scab and then a, a little while will be gone and you don't even know you had it. Right. Same thing with internal damage and cuts. For me, that was just a, a lesion on my thyroid. I looked at it as, okay, I talked to a nutritionist. She told me the same thing about expressing myself. Right. And I was like, very true. I've held in stress for the last three years. <laughs> I was in constant stress every day. It was not, I, and I was succeeding through it. I was functioning. However, it, it didn't mean I wasn't dealing with a lot of stress. I was just holding it in though. I didn't want to talk to, or at least that's the story I told myself. I could have found an opportunity, but I didn't because I didn't want to seem weak. I was the leader of a division navigation. I had to be the strong leader. Right. And it, you know, it's, it's, that's the type of thinking that keeps people from talking about it. And then now, now it's like, I'm going to heal this. 
right? If I keep my mind in the, in the right way, if I'm moving the energy from my body, so I'm not holding on to it, if I'm processing my emotions, whether it's anger, sadness, frustration, not holding on to it, so like my body can start healing. Because I believe you have to be in a peaceful state for your body to maximize healing. And that's why meditation is such a big thing for me now and, and dealing with these things. So now it's like a holistic approach. It's not just cut it out because then if, if I cut it out, it might show up in a different form. <laughs> if I'm still doing the same thing that the cause, the, the causal action of holding everything in, not communicating, not expressing, not talking about it. Right. So I figured the best way to talk about it is like make a podcast. <laughs> Uh, and I honestly, I still haven't really talked about it that much, you know, because I, I don't like to identify myself as like, I am dealing with that, right? It's just, it's it's a small thing for me. And it, it was enough of a, a sign to say, I need to take care of my body because I was very healthy and I still got it, right? I need to take care of my mindset, my mental health, my physical body is great. You know, I'm active, I'm healthy, mostly plant-based. At the time, I was fully plant-based. I was taking care of myself. It didn't even, it doesn't even affect my thyroid hormone or anything. So it's just there. It was, a, it was a flag, a red flag for me, a sign that I need to take this serious. And this is part of my journey now. And when I overcome this, I'll help other people overcome their issue. So that's my view on it now. I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that. But I do have a deeper question. Yeah. What was your, what has been your grief experience growing up? Yeah, my grief experience growing up was my parents moved to America from Egypt. I was born here. I grew up seeing a lot of verbal abuse between them. They didn't, I never really saw love in my household. Like that wasn't a, really a thing. Um, when I was about 12, 13, my parents separated, they got a divorce, uh, and that was tough to see too. So a lot of it was, there was always anger. There's always these emotions. There was never really love growing up. You know, I, I received a lot of love from them individually, but seeing parents that hate each other pretty much, it had made an imprint on my mind at a very young age. They got divorced. I was still pretty young. And then my father passed away when I was in high school. So that was another thing, right? He'd passed away from lung cancer. And I had an uncle who I was very close to pass away when I was about 10 or 11, who had a heart attack at 55. So they both died at 55. And that's what got me really interested in health. And then as I'm growing in health, I'm understanding why the mindset plays a role in a lot of these things whether it's heart is heart disease, lung cancer, uh, right? Smoking cigarettes, it's an addiction. So now I'm studying addiction in a very different way. Uh, and people have that addiction because of what? Because it may calm them down from dealing with their trauma, their issues, grief. their problems, their grief, right? So that is their mechanism to feel better in the moment, right? So what are healthy ways to feel better in the moment? You know, and what's crazy thing is they, they, they did some study. I can't remember all the details, but they, they noticed that the thing that helps 
cigarette smokers the most when they smoke is that they start taking deeper breaths and they get a sense of calm and they were like, maybe it is a cigarette because it has nicotine, all those weird things. Or is it because they're breathing bigger now? They have deeper breaths. So breath work is a huge thing for me. Um, but yeah, those are the big things that, you know, I didn't, I didn't really grieve my father's death that much, you know, cause I wanted to be, I wanted to be strong and, you know, I'm, I don't have any resentment for him. You know, I've let that go, you know, and, and now it's like, well, how can I help people here who are maybe stuck in addiction? Right. And, and are using that as a mechanism. Cause I feel like most people have some sort of addiction now too, <laughs> but that's a whole nother conversation, right? Our cell phones are an addiction too. So it's, it's how can I use that to help people move forward? Because I didn't have a lot of guidance. I didn't have a male role model. Really. I had two older brothers. However, it wasn't, it wasn't that type of relationship where I was like inspired right? One of my brothers were, was in a gang in high school. He's not in it now. He's doing great. He's like a pastor in Arizona. He's like overcame that. He had his own addictions and his whole journey. However, I didn't really talk to him when I was younger. My other brother was also very reserved, very quiet. So I didn't have a male role model and my dad was gone. And now I'm figuring it out, piecing it together and decided to finish high school very quiet, reserved. I got along with people. I was friendly. However, I was very reserved in high school. High school was just, for me, it was just go do what I got to do and leave. You know, I didn't really have that experience of enjoying it. Right. I was in my head most of the time. And I'd even, even when my father passed away in high school, I didn't tell anybody. Right. So that, that's another issue to the thyroid right yeah i didn't tell a single person like not a single person knew because it was over the summer before my senior year i came back and it was like i was quiet most of the time i did my i did all my schoolwork. i was a good student and never got in trouble but i didn't communicate these things maybe a couple people knew but yeah that's another thing where why that I feel like the need to not tell anyone, not sure exactly. However, now I know that's not how you grieve. <laughs> that's well, not how you process yeah, pain. It wasn't, pain. it wasn't demonstrated for you. And that's where the generational learning impacts everybody because we are taught what our children or what our parents teach us. Right. And they're taught what they know, you know, so that's how that cycle continues. And it is up to, me now to break that cycle because I wasn't taught how to grieve appropriately, not even appropriately healthy in a healthy mm -hmm. way. You weren't either. Right. So break the cycle before my kids, before I pass that on to my kids. That's mm -hmm. how this, that's how that cycle continues. The grave alone and be strong and time heals all wounds and all these things that were taught replace the loss. This is all myths of grief that we teach in grief recovery and in grief recovery. Like you said, with addictions, we call them STIRBs, short-term energy relieving behaviors. 
And we all have a vice of some sort Mm -hmm. that we resort to, to feel better for a short period of time. But but it's not long lasting, right? So we have to keep that pattern of behavior continues until we can become aware that our patterns of behavior are related to our emotion. Exactly. And, And one thing I've learned and I share is an emotion not fully felt, not fully expressed, continues to perpetuate until it's fully felt it will linger in the background too oftentimes Mm -hmm. you might not be thinking about it you might have that resentment towards someone from like 10 years ago like "Ah, i forgot about that like i don't care about that screw that person there's still some energy there i'm fine you know that's what we say (laughs) in grief recovery too feelings inside not expressed that's what fine is (laughs) exactly Uh, how many times have i said that right? right countless same and it was that every single day I'd show up like, I'm good. I'm fine. Whatever. Let's just do this. So I can go home. <laughs> right. Just even that. Right. And and that's even for something, someone to notice when their energy is low and they're, they feel tired, they feel drained. There's something there, right? The brain is suppressing something and it's taking up energy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I ask people this one. This is a great question to ponder. Like, what are you trying to forget? Mm, that's a good one. That is a question that will ask, ask yourself that reflect on that. Cause I ask myself and now, now it starts bringing up things because you, when you fully express something, when you fully grieve, you're not trying to forget anything. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to pretend it wasn't there, wasn't going to happen. You, you fully acknowledge it. You've came to acceptance and then pass acceptance and surrendering it. Right. And that is, that's where it begins, but it begins with that conscious intentional question or questions of that type, some type of work to get you thinking about it. Why am I holding on to this? Like, do we, do we want to be right or do we want to be happy? and healthy because forgiveness surrendering to something that at this point I have no control over. That's going to liberate me to be happy and healthy and create the greatness that I have within me and share that with the world. But until I face it head on, it's going to operate in the background. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be down everything's gonna be fine i'm gonna have pains in my body i'm gonna have disease i have to go to doctor get drugs for i'm gonna be just surviving instead of thriving and being happy and fulfilled all of that begins with acknowledgement acceptance and surrendering to the pain the trauma because honestly, from my experience in this work, and I've been talking to a lot of people about it, everybody has something or multiple somethings, right? So it's, it's when, you, when I started talking about some of the addictions and some of the issues I've had, I started seeing that like everyone has some issue, even if it's not the same exact one. There's a lot of people that do deal with the same issues I've been dealing with. And that's another concept for people to grasp. If, if you have an issue and you're not fine and you have an issue in a relationship or, or work or whatever the case is, 
there are pretty much everyone around you has some sort of issue too. You're not the only one. And that's the type of thing that made me isolate myself. I felt like I was the only one dealing with this. Right. And then if I actually think about it, a lot of people lose loved ones. A lot of people have seen family hate and pain and never seen love in their life. And some people have seen worse. Right. And it's, it's all relative. However, it is still stopping us from living fully and just and having that that life of that we think is impossible sometimes that's that's a thing right there that limiting belief and starting starting to understand that it is possible to not live in suffering and pain to be depressed to have these mental health issues it is possible to be happy that's that's a critical belief i believe so what what were you searching for when you decided to join the military i was searching i was very in my head logically about it at the time i wanted to join the fbi i figured this is a good way to get out of the small town i was in because i was in vegas i was born in vegas but i was living in new jersey which i didn't wasn't really fond of i wanted to get away so it was more of that too. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to just run away, run yeah. away, right. Run away from my life and start no, start a new one. Uh, I wanted to get his clearance so I can go in the FBI and get military experience and then just get out. Right. And searching for a path that I know I can succeed in. Right. Cause I didn't really have that many friends uh, throughout high school and those things. So it's, this is, they just felt right. I can go, I build relationships of military leaders will help me guide me. Maybe I'll travel, get out of my comfort zone. I'll challenge myself. I'll get uh military experience. I'll potentially be high quality candidate for the FBI. That changed. I didn't want to work for the government ever after <laughs> my second deployment. <laughs> um, however, I've learned so much in that time and I, probably the best decision I made, even though it was a lot of pain and suffering that I created for myself by not dealing with things in a healthy way. Right. And that's another thing I tell people is suffering is optional. Suffering is optional and we get to choose as hard as it is. It's still a choice. And that's, that's what I was running away from my life, starting over my fat, my father passed away. I didn't like where I was at. I didn't want to just do what everyone else is doing was going to like community college in New Jersey. I just, I saw myself just doing different and that's what made me join. Well, and I ask that too, because I think your story is, is different, but it's very similar to a lot of people that join the military. It's because, and it is a lot of people that come from dysfunctional homes that didn't have that discipline or they didn't have that stability or they didn't have structure in their lives. And so they're or they like you, you know, you didn't have maybe the camaraderie and friendships and solid support in that way. So you're looking for that in the military, which every branch you'll find that for sure. But again, like you said, you were a submarine of dysfunctional men, you know, from dysfunctional backgrounds 
And it's not to say it's no one asks for that, right? Like you don't ask for that, but you don't know how to handle the cards you're dealt with if you've never been guided or, you know, received that demonstration of how to do that. And again, I think too, like you kind of, to your point, it, I think it's a waste of our lives to not ask ourselves the deeper questions that lead to us fulfilling what it is, the maximum of our potential, right? So Absolutely, yeah. What and is I, one, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, when we, when we do start reflecting deeply and asking those questions, we have the answers. Mm-hmm. And it, and it just takes a little bit of reflection. I did a lot of that when I was trapped in a tube <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> but you don't need to be trapped in a tube to do that, right? You don't, right? Yeah. The, worst, the worst trap is the one we just keep here. Yeah, exactly. Without realizing our minds. Yes, that's, that's the worst one. Yeah. <laughs> and how many of us were in prison or are in prison or feel like we're in prison to our circumstances? Mm-hmm. Suffering so what is, is optional. <laughs> yeah. But action is the anecdote, right? Mm-hmm. Doing something about it. And so I guess I, my question is then to you, what would you say to someone, you know, yeah, it's easier said than done. What would you say to someone? Where do you start? Yeah. So. Okay. I asked myself this important. question. I yeah. asked myself, what are you trying to forget? <laughs> I've asked myself that question. Well, I know what I'm trying to forget. Now what? Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just. We, we think it, it's going to happen overnight or over in a week and a month. And it's not. So first understanding that it is now that you have the awareness and the, the idea that it's possible to get over this, looking at it as a lifetime journey, a lifelong process of learning and bettering, because that's, that's one of the things I saw that why sometimes people might not succeed in the, the counseling with a psychologist that are like one hour sessions every week or month. Sometimes that's too much at a time. And it's, it's about just getting a little bit better. So instead of thinking of like, Oh, I need to overcome all these issues right now. That's going to overwhelm you. So it's how can I do one thing today to get me to make progress? Or if it's if it's breaking a habit, how can I do one less of that one thing, right? And it's breaking it down because sometimes it's many things. Sometimes you might have many different issues, many addictions, and you want to take them all on at once, and then you won't because it's too much. It's overwhelming, and you 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 haven't grown to the person necessary to overcome all those things that that time because it's a growing process it's a practice so what is the one thing i can do today to help me maybe release some of the tension what's one practice i can start right now one habit i can develop whether it's talk to a reiki master whether that's do five minutes of breathing or whether that's write something out whether that's exercise or that's take, you know, take your energy, move your energy somewhere else, right? It's, it's the little things that really make the big changes and it's developing habits. 
So starting small to just get better. What can I do today to get better? And then tomorrow, not beat myself up because I haven't overcame everything yet. Know that I just got a little bit better. I did, I did 10 minutes of meditation today. Wow. Like tomorrow, let me do that again. Whether even if it's five minutes, whatever, a few breaths, like getting, start becoming aware and taking small steps consistently over time. That's what makes great change. It's not like, okay, I got to stop. Let me talk about my trauma in a one hour session and it's all gone. Like, no, sometimes it's, it has to be more controlled, shorter increments over time. And you start releasing some of that energy over time. And it's a process. So don't set expectations for yourself to have it all done right now because it's a process and it's a never-ending learning journey. I'm constantly learning ways to overcome the issues that arise for me. However, it's small steps, small steps. What's the one thing I can do right now that can help me just be better and then start isolating those things? Once you break down the most destructive habit, let that be the sole focus, right? And then break that down until it's gone. And when that's done, you can move on to the, no- the next one. But it's like you want to fix everything all at once, you're not going to know how. So it's break it down small and then move forward from there. And that's pretty much how it started for me. My, my growth, post-traumatic growth, I think it was a midlife crisis, which I think is very common for people. You end up in a midlife asking yourself bit bigger questions and things like that. And so that's how it kind of started for me. Got a life coach, was doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, started writing. and But it wasn't enough for me. Like I realized grief is my issue. I had another loss that kind of opened up a can of worms, which often is what happens too. When people realize like you have one last, like you have one loss that just like, okay, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I just want to feel better. And so that's what led me to grief recovery, which changed my life, opened me up to Reiki and all these other opportunities and things, this podcast, like it's been like a growth just in the last two years after I dealt with my grief. And like to speak to what you said earlier with trauma and stuff, trauma is what happens and grief is what's left. And Mm -hmm. so what has your grief taught you? My grief taught me that it is necessary to have support in my life. You know, it's necessary for me to have people around me and to not do it myself, which was, I had backwards before, (laughs) I thought I had to deal deal with it myself so I can, you know, show up the best version, right? But you won't be able to show up the best version if you're holding on to a lot of pain and suffering and grief and trauma, right? Those things are consuming a lot of your energy in a subconscious way. So that that was the biggest thing. And that's something I still work on. I'm having people around me who can see this. They're my mirrors, my, my mirrors. If I'm, if I'm not showing up my normal self or happy or whatever, I see it around me now because I surrounded myself with people, right? And, and everyone's just a mirror. So having the support 
and, and knowing that it's okay to feel crappy. <laughs> it's, it's okay to feel that because that's part of dealing with emotions. It and shows emotion, us the contrast. Yeah. That's and, the contrast. Yeah. A lot of times emotion is just data. It's information to me. If I'm, if I'm angry, angry is not bad or good. It's what I do with that that becomes bad or good. Because if I'm angry and I go take it out, go yell in a pillow <laughs> or go run or whatever, and now I've expressed that energy and I'm no longer feeling that anger, now I can learn from that emotion. Like what, what caused it? Why did it take such a strong root in me? Or whatever the cause was, I can learn from that. So I've learned so much about how to deal with my emotions and I actually had to put words to it. Because a lot of times before, I didn't even know how to like put words to it. So I'll just be silent because I don't know. I'm all here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to explain what I'm feeling and experiencing. And that is a practice. That's a huge practice. However, it's a liberating practice. Because once you start communicating it, and if you speak it out loud to groups or people, you start letting some of that energy out, right? And it might be a little bit by a little bit. If you do it every week, every other week, and you start doing it and releasing that energy and communicating it, eventually that energy would dissipate to nothing. And then becomes nothingness instead of a controlling factor of your life. So that's, that's something I've learned and that I'm still practicing. Anytime something comes up, now it's not, let me hold on to this. Let me process it. Yeah, I'll process it. And then I have to communicate it some way, whether that's writing it out or communicating to another human being or group in a group fashion. So those are some of my big keys. That's awesome. And one thing that came to my mind too is, is how, like, how do you know if you're growing? Like, how do you know if you are stepping into a better version of yourself? And what's been on the top of my mind this week has been the word patience. And I think it's how you handle the hurry up and wait. That is the military, right? But how you handle the wait, the waiting, whether you're waiting in a grocery line, whether you're stuck in traffic, how do you handle waiting? And I think if you can look at truly how you handle waiting, how patient you are. I think that really is a really good indicator of how much you have grown as a human being. Because I, I had that, a, yeah. I had a really challenging situation yesterday, <laughs> which brings to my mind about patience, because I don't think the guy expected me to be as patient as I was, but I was more than an hour and a half patient. And I think it was just like, you know, he's trying to push me to, what? I think you, you know, well, we can do this another time. Nope. I'm good. I'm very patient. And that was not me five years ago, not even three years ago. So patience. Yeah. That's been a huge thing on, on the forefront of my mind this week, actually going to write about it in my newsletter, because I think it is a really great indicator of how much patience we actually have with ourselves too. Because if we're, if we're completely impatient with other people, how can you really be patient with yourself? And really patience for yourself is compassion for yourself too. So Absolutely, which is a huge, huge part of this. It's kind mm-hmm. of the essence of what we're talking about when we're saying take 
you have to, it's a process. It's a slow process, daily practice. It, it, that requires patience. Mm-hmm. Cause when you, when you feel like you, when you want to get over something in like a day, however, it might take longer than that. What if it takes a month to get process something fully? That's okay. Like whatever it, de- whatever it is, it is what it is, but it requires patience. And that's a great test. If you're in traffic, how mad do you get? Mm-hmm. And is that worth it? And if you get mad at that, so all the other little things that come about in your day-to-day triggers you, you start noticing, oh, I'm just pissed off like most of the day <laughs> until I go to sleep, right? And that's where disease and things like that come about. Yeah, I think we could have just a whole nother conversation about energy <laughs> mm-hmm. and just the energy of growth post-traumatic growth, you know, you hear that phrase a lot, but um, yeah. So I just want to encourage everybody to check out your podcast, The Conqueror Approach. Um, And where can people, is there anything else first? I want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything else that you didn't get to share that you would like to share? I feel overall complete. Just want to remind people, this is a journey. It doesn't end. Once you process one thing, Life is just going to continue to fill those things. So it's what we focus on, our energy will flow there, right? And exchange expectations for appreciation was one of the best things I've learned. Ooh. Expectations cause suffering. Planned disappointments. Okay. Expectations exactly. are planned disappointments. Can you say Expe- that again, though? What did you say? Exchange expectation for appreciation. That's good. Expectation just causes suffering of what it should be. It should look like it should feel like whatever the case is. But if you in the moment can shift that to whatever and then change that to appreciation, you find your body being in a completely different state, your mind being in a different state. And that is the goal that we're, we're achieving here is, is finding peace through grieving, through communicating, through understanding the body and energy. So uh, other than that, my podcast is on every platform. Uh, I'm Musa Mikhail on every platform. So I'd love to connect with anyone. And I'll put the way you can connect in the show notes, all those links in the show notes. And I thank you so much for your time today, for your service as well. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.